Power on. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Pop Culture Retro-Rama Podcast. I'm your host, Vic Sage, and I'm here to share memories, thoughts, and information on all manner of retro-related properties. Movies. Are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? Music. I want my MTV. All right. Comic books. These ain't your daddy's comic books, fanboy. And toys. It's Castle Grayskull. And it's mine. Broadcasting to you from the depths of the pop culture retro-rama vault. So, come join us, won't you? Now, you're playing with power. Hi there, friends. Thank you for joining us once again for a brand new episode of the Pop Culture Retrorama Podcast. This is our second holiday special, and if 2020 would have been just a tad more kinder, this episode would have, in fact, been the start of the second season of the show. You would be getting a new episode every week for the next 12 weeks. However, during October, when I began the third season of the Saturday Frights podcast, along with my co-host, the projectionist, I became ill. Thankfully, nothing to do with the pandemic, but I was knocked out of commission for a month, which completely threw my podcast schedule out of whack, to say the very least. My fellow pop culture retrorama colleagues, Allison, Ashley, Earl, and Rockford agreed that even if we were not starting the second season of the podcast just yet, it didn't feel right that we didn't get together at least for another holiday special. On this show, we're going to be sharing everything from our memories of certain television holiday specials to thoughts on the recently released Lego Star Wars holiday special as well as a little holiday gift from all of us at the Pop Culture Retrorama site to you. So, grab a cup of eggnog, or maybe some hot apple cider, and sit back, because it's time to start the show. Thursday, visit the North Pole, where all year long folks have been getting ready for Christmas. This holiday season, Fred Astaire tells us how Santa got his start. A Christmas classic, Santa Claus is coming to town. Watch Thursday at 8, 7 Central and Mountain on ABC. Friends, just 10 days ago at the time of this recording, the Rankin and Bass stop-motion animated holiday classic, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, turned 50 years old. I was tempted to do an article on this beloved holiday special, celebrating its half-century of entertaining children and those young at heart, but felt it would be the perfect choice for my segment on this podcast. Santa Claus is Coming to Town originally aired on the evening of December 14th of 1970 on ABC. While I missed the original airing by a few years, I do have many fond memories of lying in the middle of my grandparents' living room floor, catching it year after year, with the tree next to the television, all decked out in ornaments and lights, as well as the comforting warmth of the fireplace. They combined to make not just lasting memories, but a very magical viewing experience indeed. Try to bear in mind how much of an event these holiday specials truly were. Long before a VCR could record a TV broadcast, if you happened to miss it being aired, you had to wait an entire year before you could catch it again. Santa Claus is Coming to Town was directed by Jules Bass and Arthur Rankin Jr. from a teleplay that was written by Romeo Muller. 
who also wrote the adaptation for Rankin and Bass's The Hobbit in 1977, as well as Puff the Magic Dragon in 79, to name just a few. It tells the life story of Kris Kringle, how he was saved as an infant by the animals of the forest, adopted by Christmas elves, became a toy maker, opposed to the greedy and vile Burgermeister Meisterburger, the reason for the changing of his name from Kringle to Claus, and perhaps, most importantly, how he met, fell in love, and married Miss Jessica, aka Mrs. Claus. The special features a stellar cast of voice talent, including Mickey Rooney as Chris Kringle slash Santa Claus, Roby Lester as Miss Jessica, Joan Gardner as Tanta Kringle, Paul Fries as multiple characters, but most notably the Burgermeister, Keenan Wynn as the initially fearsome Winter Warlock, and Fred Astaire as S.D. Kluger. All the while featuring seven memorable songs performed by the cast with backup vocals by the Mike Semis singers. Well, six of the original songs were written by the legendary Maury Laws, with lyrics provided by Jules Bass, in addition to the iconic Santa Claus is Coming to Town. You might be interested to know that Santa Claus is Coming to Town was originally written by J. Fred Coots in Haven Gillespie, with the earliest recording on record being released on October 24th of 1934, featuring banjoist Harry Razor. However, it was in November of that year when Eddie Cantor belted out the tune on his popular radio show, which features some additional lyrics not normally heard, as this performance was broadcast during the Great Depression. Let's give without a pause. Let's prove to those less fortunate that there is a Santa Claus. All the joy will be yours. That wonderful day, knocking on doors and shouting hooray. Santa Claus is coming to I've read online that in just 24 hours, Cantor's recording sold 30,000 records and that it continued to be so popular that people ordered 500,000 copies of the sheet music for the song. Obviously, throughout the years, it has been covered by numerous artists, although I'm rather partial to the cover by Fred Astaire, as heard in the Stop Motion Holiday Special. As a matter of fact, I've read online that Mari Laws, who we lost just last year, claimed that of the specials he worked on for Rankin and Bass, it was Santa Claus's Coming to Town that he marked as his favorite. As I understand it, the song entitled What Better Way to Tell You, which is played during the beautiful wedding sequence between Kris Kringle and Jessica in the forest, and sung by Fred Astaire, is the one that Mari was most proud of. Sadly, during the 1980s, due to an increase in commercials, this number was one of the songs to be frequently cut from television broadcasts. What better way to tell you In addition, Jessica's song, My World is Beginning Today, is also frequently edited from the broadcasts, which is such a shame, as it features the singing voice of Roby Lester, who also voices Jessica in the special. You pop culture aficionados might not recognize Lester's name, but those of you of a certain age will probably fondly remember her voice, as she was one of the original narrators for the still-entertaining Disneyland book and records. 
This is a Walt Disney original little long playing record, and I am your Disneyland story reader. You can read along with me in your book. Now, by the time that Santa Claus is Coming to Town aired on ABC, Rankin and Bass had already produced the stop-motion animated specials Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in 1964, Mad Monster Party in 1967, followed by The Little Drummer Boy in 68, and the following year seeing the release of another very popular holiday special, Frosty the Snowman, which did not feature stop-motion animation, but the more traditional cell animation. Animagic was the name given to Rankin and Bass's style of stop-motion animation. The animation for the special, though, was completely handled by various Japanese animation studios. Thanks to a just recently published Esquire article by Emma Carey, though, it turns out that one of the studios that was employed for providing the animation in the specials was known as Topcraft an animation studio still in business today, even if it goes by a totally different name these days. One that is very familiar to fans of animation. You see, Topcraft became Studio Ghibli. The puppets used for the stop-motion specials were crafted from wood with wire frames and sported everything from wool, leather, and yak hair. The skills of the animators, along with the voice talent, the script, and music managed to instill life into these puppets, transforming them into very memorable characters. Santa Claus is Coming to Town is Rankin and Bass's attempt at telling the origin of Santa Claus, explaining why he would enter a household through the chimney, or even how the reindeer are able to fly, among other legends. But it remains a holiday classic because, at the end of the day, it is truly a heartwarming story. For what it might be worth, it was watching the likes of Santa Claus's Coming to Town, along with films featuring the stop-motion effects of Willis O'Brien and Ray Harryhausen that made me want to become a stop-motion animator in my youth. If you followed my work on The Retroist for nearly a decade, you might even recall when I shared one of my claymation projects from back in high school. While it is crude, to put it mildly, I had to use a camcorder hooked to a VCR deck, recording for two seconds at a time because the tape would back up one second after you hit stop. Well, at least it was supposed to do that. But Gorp and Ed versus the Critters did at least earn me a runner-up award in the local public access awards show. In closing up my segment for this second holiday special of the Pop Culture Retrorama podcast, there are online sources where you can enjoy Santa Claus is Coming to Town. So, why not treat yourself to this Rankin and Bass holiday special tonight? Now, I believe that Allison is all ready to go with her segment. Holiday greetings, listeners. Allison Preston here with your warm and fuzzy sitcom episode, The Reason for the Season. The Hogan family, which started out its life as Valerie and later Valerie's family until it switched over to its third title, was one of the earliest sitcoms I watched in my childhood, starting when I was three years old and staying on the air until I was almost nine years old. At six seasons and 110 episodes across two networks, NBC for seasons one through five, CBS for season six, it was where I discovered my earliest and longest running yet crush Jason Bateman. It's also the source of a joke my husband has done where he reenacts Jason Bateman in the opening credits. The theme song is catchy. The sitcom family values are standard family sitcom values. The Hogan family had the formula down pat. The only thing this sitcom didn't have in a world where sitcoms always had this was the proper fall holiday episode. There was no Halloween episode nor a Thanksgiving episode. And as for a Christmas episode, that didn't happen until the final season. The final episode of the final season. Oh, I'm serious. 
Ho Ho Hogan's aired as the series' 110th episode in the show's sixth and final season and focuses on David Hogan, played by Jason Bateman, who takes on a rather interesting job for a very important sitcom reason. Ho Ho Hogan's! You are strangely cheerful. Well, it's Yuletide season, isn't it? Excuse me, but aren't you the same David Hogan that always roots against Tiny Tim? Absolutely true. But you see, family, this year, I am using Christmas to my advantage. As you know, Bert and I desperately need money for that ski trip over Christmas break, and Benson's department store is paying big bucks for Santas and helpers. You'll uh, be working with children? David, isn't that a strange choice for someone who, uh, you know... Hates their guts. Well, no, I I don't hate kids, particularly. Uh, And is it too much to think that I may want to spread a little Christmas cheer among the little maggots of Oak Park? Colorist touched, David. All right, now, if I can just figure out a way to be Santa without having any of those little snot noses sit on my lap, well, my job is perfect, huh? There's talk of a Christmas goose and heretics, a Christmas tree with character, Christmas traditions, and Mark and Willie fighting over buying the same Christmas present for their girlfriends. Hey, Mark. Yeah. Prepare to be dazzled. I picked up Brenda's present today. What'd you get her? Brass knuckles? (laughs) Why would I get her something she already has? (laughs) You ready? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. I couldn't resist it when I saw it in the display window. Ta-da! Neither could I. Hey, you've got Brenda's sweater. No, 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 no. You have Kara's sweater, and I expect you to return it. No way! All right. All right, fine. We We can handle this. We will both exchange our gifts for something else. Okay. Guess you can never have too many brass knuckles. In the true spirit of Christmas sitcoms, David has an encounter with every Christmas-loving sitcom kid he possibly could until he meets one, Benjamin, that truly steals his heart and his wallet. I'm getting this this strange, jolly sensation. Visions of sugar plums dancing. (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. My wallet. Oh, where's my wallet? Oh, it's probably. I've been robbed. That little weasel! That little weasel robbed Santa! No, he... It turns out Benjamin didn't get anything for Christmas last year, so he steals David's, I mean Santa's, wallet. Young Benjamin was worried that Santa would forget to bring the robe and slippers he wanted his mom to have, so he took David's, I mean Santa's, wallet so he could buy it himself. And like all good sitcoms, everyone learns a valuable lesson. A warm house and plenty of food are what the family should be grateful for, not competing for the best present or making money for a ski trip. Michael resolves to take over a package of food for Benjamin and his mother, and Sandy reminds David of the time he sacrificed something special, his autographed baseball glove, to buy his Aunt Sandy a crystal deer ornament, because renting out his little brothers wasn't practical. David earned his money for the ski trip, but Sandy manages to convince him to help out a young kid give his mom the Christmas she deserves. And the Hogan family and their friends and girlfriends enjoy a Christmas complete with all the trappings of a perfect Christmas. Even David learned the true meaning of the holiday. A toast. <laughs> to all traditions and new traditions, family and friends. 
Christmas. Merry Christmas. The Hogan Family, which was canceled by NBC at the end of the 1989-1990 season, was picked up by CBS for the 1990-1991 season. Unfortunately, due to low ratings, the series was dropped from the network's Saturday night schedule. Four episodes, including the Christmas episode, were left unaired at the time of the hiatus and were burned off during the summer repeat season, airing over two weeks on July 10th, July 17th, and Saturday, July 20th, 1991. So, Ho Ho Hogan's didn't get the proper Christmas airing it deserved and instead was relegated to a Saturday night in July. Even so, the episode did everything a traditional sitcom episode does right, and even if it didn't get the proper airing it deserved along with a proper send-off the series deserved, Ho Ho Hogan's finds itself among my required holiday viewing. On a personal note, I'd like to thank our listeners, readers, and followers for their support in this very trying year and wish all of you a Merry Christmas, a joyous Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, and a happy, healthy, and prosperous New Year. This is Allison Preston for Pop Culture Retorama. Thank you, Allison. Up next, we have Earl Green. Hello, everybody. Earl Green here from thelogbook.com. Did everyone make sure that they watched the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special? I know that seems kind of a silly question because everything that happened like two or three weeks ago in 2020 seems like it was approximately five years ago. We are really getting a, a lesson in the workings of relativistic time this year. But I know that even though it's been eclipsed by, oh, say, that whole Mandalorian thing, I really did kind of enjoy the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special. Now, it doesn't match the original Star Wars Holiday Special for sheer weirdness. I mean, there's not... You are not slapped in the face up front with 10 minutes of unsubtitled Wookiee speak, which is kind of sad. But at the same time, it's still about an hour long, and it's got references to just about every, you know, every corner of Star Wars you can possibly imagine or want to hear from again. That's a lot of fun. It's also kind of uplifting, breezy, and, and my favorite part, though, it's got lots and lots of porgs. Now, I double-checked, and I'm pretty sure the porgs got more screen time in the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special than they did in The Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker combined. And that's really all I ask of a piece of Star Wars media these days, is just lots and lots of porgs. So, you know, come on, Mandalorian. What's up with that? No porgs at all. So I highly recommend you check out the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special. It's kind of check-your-brain-at-the-door fun, and yet... Very much like the original Star Wars Holiday Special, I kind of love it. Thanks, Earl. It looks like Ashley is good to go. Hey there, pop culture retro-rama fans. This is Ashley Thomas, a.k.a. The Nerdy Blogger. I don't know about you guys, but I have certain Christmas specials from my childhood that I have to watch every single year for it to feel like Christmas for me. One of those specials that I've watched every year for, frankly, quite nearly my entire life, is A Disney Channel Christmas. A Disney Channel Christmas originally aired in 1983 on the Disney Channel, of course, and I find it amusing that the title has not one, not two, not three, but five exclamation points. I think that's hilarious and definitely something I would do, because 
let's be honest, I get really hype about a Disney Channel Christmas. A Disney Channel Christmas is one of those, um, shall we say, clip shows or compilation shows. But what I really love is the interstitial narration we get from Jiminy Cricket, which is really fun. If you'd like a list, according to the Disney Wiki, here are the featured segments in A Disney Channel Christmas. On Christmas morning, a nutcracker suite from Fantasia. Once Upon a Wintertime from Melody Time, Pluto's Christmas Tree, Donald's Snow Fight, albeit a slightly edited version for time, The Art of Skiing, You Can Fly from Peter Pan, Bambi and Thumper Ice Skating from Bambi, I've Got No Strings from Pinocchio, Work Song from Cinderella, that is the Cinderella, Cinderella, Night and Day at Cinderella song, The Silly Song from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Mickey's Good Deed, which is a real tearjerker, The Clock Watcher, albeit, again, an edited version, as well as an edited version of Santa's Workshop and The Night Before Christmas, and the Ghost of Christmas Past sequence from Mickey's Christmas Carol. Now, what I really, really enjoy about these Disney Channel clip specials, like a Disney Halloween, or as it's sometimes called, Disney's Halloween Treat, is that I... This was my introduction to classic Disney. I really loved getting to see all of these different animated features and shorts. It really gave me an appreciation for animation, specifically, obviously, the Disney variety. But there's just something about this special that just feels like Christmas to me and really and truly puts me in the spirit of the season. My personal favorites on this special are the ones with Donald Duck. Donald always makes me laugh. I never quite mastered the Donald voice, but I still enjoy watching him. I thought Donald's snow fight was so fun, watching him have these fantastic snowball wars with Huey, Dewey, and Louie. And I always really enjoy The Clock Watcher because it was fun to watch Donald in a business-type setting. For those of you unfamiliar with the short The Clock Watcher, Donald is working in the gift wrapping department at a department store. So whenever I wrap gifts, I think fondly of this particular short and giggle at the idea of uh, Donald wrapping all these gifts in very creative and hilarious ways. My personal favorite is where he has a trombone to wrap but can't find a long enough box. So he puts the trombone in a vise and spins it and it becomes a French horn, which I think is hilarious as a musician. If you've not been able to check out a Disney Channel Christmas, it's probably because it's never had an official release. It was released in an edited version as Jiminy Cricket's Christmas on VHS, but unfortunately it changes some things around from the original airing. I was fortunate enough to have a mom that enjoyed recording VHS for me, so the version I have is from an airing on the Disney Channel from 1988. I've watched it every year, and thanks to my dear friend Allison here at the Pop Culture Retrorama, I now have it digitized so I can enjoy it for years to come. Wherever you are, my friends, I hope you have a wonderful and blessed holiday season, and I hope you get to watch your favorite holiday specials with the people that you love the most. Merry Christmas. Thank you for sharing that, Ashley. It appears that Rockford J is up next. Hi everybody, Rockford J here, and if you're like me, Christmas is your very favorite time of year. Hey, somebody should write a song like that. I love the celebrations, I love the decorations, I love the time off, I love the time with friends and family, I love the shopping and the gift giving, I love everything about it, including 
holiday movies and TV shows. And I, like many people, have gotten caught up in recent years in the whole trend about seeking out entertainment that is not exactly Christmas, but Christmas is an element. I think you all know what I'm talking about. Movies like Die Hard and Gremlins and Batman Returns and Ghostbusters 2. Movies that have Christmas as sort of the background, but it's not the main focus of the entertainment. And I've been interested recently in TV shows that are much the same way. And lo and behold, I discovered after many years of watching this series that an episode of one of my favorite shows of all time is set at Christmas. Kolchak the Night Stalker, episode five, The Werewolf, begins with an office party at INS, the independent news service in Chicago, as everybody is celebrating Christmas and looking forward to the holiday. There's singing and gifts and punch being passed around, and Tony Vincenzo, the editor of the news service, is anticipating a holiday that he has put off for a long time. He has lined himself up a feature story writing about a swingers cruise on the last trip of the Hanover, a grand old cruise ship, and he has finagled his way into getting a paid holiday, or so he thinks. Unbeknownst to him, trouble is brewing. The phone rings. The big guys from New York are coming in to audit the books. Tony can't go. What to do? Somebody has to write these stories. Aha! Kolchak, grab your hat, grab your coat, grab the tickets for the plane, the tickets for the ship, the petty cash, head out. And he expects to see these stories. They need to be poignant and incisive about the lives of the swingers on this cruise. Kolchak takes off, lands, hops on the boat, acclimates himself to everything going on, and lo and behold, there's a werewolf on board. Next week on the CBS Late Movie, a werewolf is a deadly opponent for Darren McGavin as the Night Stalker. All next week on the CBS Late Movie. I know what you're saying. What a ridiculous idea. That's the brilliance. Who would have ever thought of something as weird and kooky as a werewolf on a cruise ship? And yet, how scary would it be to be on a cruise ship, no way to get off, no access to silver bullets? guns, anything like that, what do you do? That's Kolchak's dilemma. The episode, of course, is full of, let's say, questionable makeup effects on the part of the werewolf. He's not the scariest werewolf you've ever seen, but it's loaded with a lot of entertaining character actors, which is one of the strengths of Kolchak the Night Stalker. Every episode you got to see a new set of grand old TV performers that you knew from half a million different things. This episode alone co-stars Dick Gautier, who was Jaime the Robot from Get Smart, Henry Jones, who you've seen in a million things, Nita Talbot, who got smacked around by William Smith on the pilot episode of The Rockford Files, Eric Braden from Escape from the Planet of the Apes, Colossus, The Forbin Project, and about 500 years worth of The Young and the Restless, and even the first mate is played by Sweet Bob Hastings, who you would know as Commissioner Gordon from a million episodes of Batman the Animated Series. And of course, what more could you want than the fantastic performance of Darren McGavin as Carl Kolchak. If ever an actor was born to play a part, that's him and that's the part. And of course, when you see Darren McGavin, you can't help but think a Christmas story. Ralphie and the Red Rider BB gun, you're gonna shoot your eye out, kid. He was right there for that too. So hey, why not make it a double feature this year? While you're taking a break from 24 hours of A Christmas Story on TNT, why not pop in or stream The Werewolf, episode five of Kolchak the Night Stalker? Give yourself a break. 
kick back with some eggnog, maybe wrap yourself up in some silver tinsel if you get a little scared that maybe that sad dog face werewolf is gonna leap out of the screen at you and have a good time. Hey, that's what I'm gonna do. So from me to you, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and enjoy the season. That's what it's all about. Now, at the beginning of the episode, I said that we had a gift for you. That is because Allison felt it appropriate to end our second holiday special with a familiar poem. "'Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled down for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from the bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave the luster of midday to objects below, when what to my wondering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. With a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment he must be Saint Nick. More rapid than eagles his coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner and Blitzen, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall. Now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As dry leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. So up to the housetop the coursers they flew, with the sleigh full of toys, and St. Nicholas too. And then in a twinkling I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. As I drew in my hand and was turning around, down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed all in fur from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled. His dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard on his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him, in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk and laying his finger aside of his nose and giving a nod up the chimney he rose. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim ere he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all and to all a good night. And friends, from all of us at Pop Culture Retrorama, we wish you a safe and happy holiday. I want to thank my fellow pop culture colleagues for all of their hard work as usual. Ashley Thomas is the nerdy blogger. She's been blogging about the nerd life since 2010 on her own blog at nerdyblogging.wordpress.com. She is a contributor to the Pop Culture Retrorama site and fangirlish.com. You can reach Ashley on Twitter at The Nerdy Blogger and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Nerdy Blogger. 
Earl Green, besides being a frequent contributor on the Pop Culture Retrorama site, shares his many geek and pop culture passion projects at thelogbook.com. Rockford J can be found every single day sharing his love of the horror genre on the Saturday Frights Facebook page. Allison Venezio can be found on Pop Culture Retrorama, Facebook, and her own spot on the internet at AllisonVeneziorWrites.com. I will naturally be sharing links to each of my fellow contributors on the podcast post over on the Pop Culture Retrorama site, which is where you can generally find me writing a couple times a day on the site. If you want to check it out, you can go to www.popcultureretrorama.com. In addition to that site, I am also contributing daily on the Facebook page for the site, as well as the Diary of an Arcade Employee and Saturday Frights Facebook page. If you have any comments on the podcast or maybe suggestions for a future episode, you can contact me at VicSagePopCulture at gmail.com. The Pop Culture Retrorama podcast is available on iTunes and Google Play, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. If you like the show, why not help us attract new listeners by leaving a review, a rating, and subscribing on iTunes? Help spread the word about the show with your friends and fellow pop culture aficionados. The music you heard at the beginning and ending of our show is courtesy of Earl Green's thelogbook.com, kindly used with his permission. As always, I want to thank the Retroist, who, for nearly 10 years, allowed me to share my love of all things retro, including creating podcasts like this one and more. This has been a Pop Culture Retrorama podcast. Goodbye, and thanks for listening. The Pop Culture Retrorama podcast is not affiliated with or authorized by any of the businesses and individuals that have been mentioned in the show. All music and sound clips are the property of the respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Audio clips are included for the purpose of review, criticism, and commentary only, and are not intended to infringe. What's that? My icy heart. It's melting.